Good job. Hey, we're in Matthew chapter 11, 25 through 30. Come, you'll find rest for your souls. Before we start, I want to welcome you on Facebook, welcome you that goes to our website, and welcome all of you here today to Calvary Chapel of Battle Creek. Please stand as we read the Word of God together. Come, God will find, come, you'll find rest for your souls, starting in verse 25. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the word of God. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this time. Well, it's the greatest hour of the week, Lord, when we can gather together as the people of God to study the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. Open our eyes to truth today, Lord. Direct our, the conversation that we have. I pray that you would speak right through me to your people and that hearts will be open, minds will be open to receive from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the promised king. Now, we talked about opposition and rejection last week, that, that Jesus was teaching his, his disciples they're going to go into the world two by two. They went into the world, and he went into Galilee. He, 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 was, he was approached by two of John's disciples, wanted to know why he was still in prison. And he said, John wondered if he really is the Messiah. And Jesus said, the blind see, the lame walk, the word is preached, and that sort of thing. And that word got back to John, and I'm sure he was encouraged. And then Jesus goes into teaching about the opposition that he would face, that the word of God was taught. He went to, did miracles. He taught in cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, that sort of thing. And he says that those cities who rejected him were more responsible for the cities that never heard of him, like Tyre and Sidon and Sodom. And he said there would be a greater punishment for them. Now, I want you to think about something. These cities are going to be judged. These people that rejected him will ultimately live separated from God forever. What we call hell, well, it really is the lake of fire. That's the eternal destiny of all the lost. But I want you to think about this. One goes to hell, listen to the statement close, not because they sin. Folks, we are all sinners. One goes to hell because they refuse to believe and receive the gift of salvation, the rescue that God provides for people, his son. Jesus said it perfectly. Last week we went through this verse, John 3, 18. He who believes in the son is not condemned. He who does not believe in the son is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. Sin separates us from God. Jesus came to reconcile us. Remember that word? To bring us together. Bring us together. He's the only one that can do it. No world religion can do it. Only Jesus Christ can reconcile man and God. He's the only one that can deal with our sin. With our sin. Now, I want you to put your thinking caps on for just a second. Question for you is this. Am I a sinner because I have sinned? Or do I sin 
because I am a sinner. Romans 5.12, I'll give you a hint. Just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and death passed upon all men because all have sinned. The answer to this question is, are you ready? I sin because I am a sinner. I am corrupt. I am depraved. And without Jesus Christ, I cannot help but to sin. We must realize that. When Jesus comes into your life and saves you, you have the Holy Spirit. You can then, because your spirit has been given life, make a faith choice instead of a flesh choice. You can choose not to sin. Before that, you're just doomed. I mean, you might try to do right and try to be a good person and all that sort of thing, but you cannot help sinning. You can't, it's like the flesh is just controlling every motion of your life. So, I sin because I am a sinner. I am corrupt. Again, we're born again into this, we're born into this world, dead in our trespasses and sins, and we must be born again spiritually. 96 times, 96 times in the book of John, believe Belief is a, is a criteria for salvation. Believe. Now, you remember what that is. It's not just mental assent. It is commit to, put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. It has to be done personally. It's not done corporately. It is personally. Jesus is going to call people personally today. Come, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So the cities of Chorazin and Bethsaida and Capernaum, they're going to be more responsible than the cities of Tyre and Sidon and Sodom. So I have a question for you, and I bet you have contemplated this question before, or at least thought about it or has been presented to you. What about the billions of people in this world who have never heard the name Jesus? What happens to them? Well, come back next week and we... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's give you a little... little preliminary here. First of all, we must all realize Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, to give you some insight on the sin. That scripture says this, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there's none who seeks God. All have turned aside, have gone their own way. They have together become unprofitable. And then he says this, there is none who does good no, not one. Now, what do I mean by that? There certainly there's good works that are done in the world and that sort of thing. God is holy. God is pure. God is resplendent light. In comparison with God, humanity is filled. Everything we do is as filthy rags. Folks, it is no comparison. The only way we're declared righteous in the sight of a holy God is through Jesus Christ, with his righteousness credited to the believer. Now he looks at you as pure and holy and clean and good and that sort of thing. So, remember, God is always the initiator in salvation. There is no, I'm going to make a decision today to believe in Jesus. That is not how that whole thing works. You come to Jesus Christ on his terms, at his time. Remember, the Father draws. Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. The Holy Spirit in John 16, 8 convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. It's an all an act of God. God is always the initiator. He's always drawing. Now, that doesn't put humans off the hook. Humans throughout the world who have not heard about Jesus are not off the hook. Why? Because of general revelation. What does that mean? 
that the book of Revelation is revealing. God has revealed himself. Psalm 19.1 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. Every human being knows that there's somebody out there, something did this, it just didn't appear on its own. That is innate within humanity. Number two, God has written his law on the hearts of every human being. No matter where you go in this world, no matter how isolated the culture, people know you don't steal, you don't take somebody else's wife, you don't commit murder, that whole thing. God has put, given each person a conscience. Remember we said that last week. Con, with, shunts, knowledge. With knowledge we know what is right and wrong. And then God has done something unique with his higher creation. He has put eternity in the hearts of every human being. You know, cats and rats and elephants, and sure as you're born, the unicorn. Remember that song? They don't have eternity in their hearts, but you do. You do. You realize there's something more than this. So knowing this truth, knowing this truth, now you can see that every person has an inward knowledge of God. Romans 1.18 tells us the problem. Let me just read it to you very quickly. Romans 1.18. Now, this is the condition of people in rebellion against God. For the wrath of God... Now, it'll actually come up on the screen. Emma, oh, there, you're, you're ahead of me, Emma. I have to get my pointer. Here it is, my pointer. Yes, there we are. I love this. Well, I loved it. There it is. For the wrath of God is revealed. Wrath. Remember that word, orge, of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress, volitionally, willfully suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made so that they are without excuse. That is the foundation of this. They are without excuse. Now, can general revelation save a person? No. No, what general revelation does, it makes them wonder how this whole thing happened. General revelation can perk an interest, can cause someone to seek God when God is seeking them. Remember, he's always the initiator. Can cause someone to seek after God and realize that there's something else that's out there. Folks, we need a Savior who can pay the sin debt. Now, what I understand about this difficult question, and believe me, I don't have all the answers, but I'm struggling with this, and this is a, what I came up with. For those who have never heard, I believe this to be true. Anyone who honestly seeks God will receive a message somehow from God, a message or a messenger, a missionary, a dream, a vision. God will reveal himself. Now, we know today that is in Islamic countries, Many Muslims are having dreams and visions about Jesus and being converted to Christianity and coming out of Islam against all kinds of pressure, including threats on their lives. So dreams and visions. Now, there is an Islamic man, a Muslim. His name was Nabel Qureshi. He wrote a book that is in our bookstore, Seeking Allah and Finding Jesus. 
He had a friend. His name was David Wood. David Wood is a missionary. He has a lot of knowledge about the Muslim culture and Islam and that sort of thing. And he spoke with Nabil for a long period of time. I think it was a couple of years that they had discussion back and forth. David Wood eventually had greater arguments for Christ than Nabil could use to resist Christ. But that did not result in his salvation. What actually happened is Nabil had a dream, and not just one dream, several dreams, to confirm that Jesus is the true Messiah. And he became converted. Now remember, in J. Warner Wallace's book, Person of Interest, we know that all world religions, all major world religions, view Jesus positively. They view him as a prophet. They view him as a wise teacher. They view him as an enlightened one. Some look at him as an avatar. He's a wonderful person, but he's not the son of God. He is not God incarnate. No world religion views Jesus as the son of God. Those who reject Jesus as the son of God, as the savior, doesn't matter if you look at him as a great guy, great teacher, wonderful person, like to hang out with him, all that stuff, you will not be saved. You'll end up in hell separated from God. That's the reality of scripture. That is the reality of Scripture. Now, Jesus said that message will cause many to reject. Many, remember, remember the picture we had last week. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many, the vast majority, go in by it. And narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. There are few who will find it. That gate, that way, is through Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man, no man comes unto the Father except by me. So the way is narrow, but it's open, open to all of humanity. It is broad and open. The call for humanity is to turn and live. Now, Jesus faced rejection. And as we get closer to the end, you know that his followers will face more and more rejections. Rejection has occurred all through the history of of, of Christendom. I mean, people were slaughtered at the beginning of Christianity. People are dying for their faith in droves today throughout the world because they believe in Jesus Christ. Simply believe in Jesus and they're dying. More so today than any time in the history of the world. That's an amazing thing. But we know as we grow closer to the end, this thing's going to permeate all places. And the love of many will grow cold. We see in in Matthew 24, 12, in spite of Jesus being rejected in Galilee, remember he spent two years in Galilee ministering to these people, demonstrating that he is the Messiah, doing miracles, preaching and teaching, and that's casting out demons and all that stuff. Two years and he's, he's going to be rejected. He's being rejected by the nation, rejected by the majority. And then he comes up with this scripture today that this invitation to come still exist. So in spite of the rejection, come to me. The invitation to be saved is open individually. He's switching from the nation of Israel to individuals to come to him. Now, in verse 25 and 26, an invitation to come and find rest. Now, Jesus will say a short prayer here. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father. Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things 
from the wise and the prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, so it seemed good in your sight. Folks, listen to this. Now, the preceding verses, we're talking about those who heard, rejected, and will face a greater condemnation for those who have not heard. The heart of God is this, loud and clear, that all be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. All be saved. The Spirit of God comes and reveals to a person, this is true. This is true. This message is true. It has to be from God. Now, question for you. Who will not hear? Who will not have ears to hear? The wise and the prudent. Those who think highly of themselves. The prideful. Jesus said, you have hidden, Father, these things from the wise and the prudent, the intelligent. Those with a, with a world wisdom, world view will not understand this. Those who've been indoctrinated. Look, at every human being born into this world is indoctrinated into the dark side's world philosophy. They have to be extracted from the dark side, put into the kingdom of light that is only done by Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.20 gives us some information about the arrogant and the prideful and those who will not hear. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer or the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness to people, the majority of people, of the message preached to save those who believe. The blinded world, listen to this, the blinded world, those under the control of the God of this age, Satan cannot see the light. Their minds have been blinded. They cannot see. There has to be a miracle of God taking the blinders down. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of Christ. Now, I ask you a question. How do these blinded people, worldly wisdom people, view you? How do they view you, Christians? How do they view the, the word preached? Foolishness. Foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1.18. For the message of the cross is foolishness. See, the Bible's honest. I mean, people look at us like we're dingbats for believing what we believe. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, the next question for you to ponder, how does the God of this age blind us? Does he give us the whammy? Blind, 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 blind. Is that how he does it? Does he make us unable to understand? Does he give us cloudy thinking? Cloudy thinking. He blinds us this way, with world philosophies and ways. World philosophies and ways. I have a picture here of philosophy. You know what philosophy is? Philo, love. Sophia, wisdom. It is the love of wisdom, the love of worldly wisdom. That is what all people born in this world have until they're extracted from this world system and placed into God's kingdom. Philosophy. 
Everyone born into this world is, is born into this world with a bent towards the philosophies of this world, its ways of thinking, human tradition. And think about this, our flesh nature, our propensity for this indoctrination to the world's philosophies is meant to keep us away from the true God. And by the way, I'm going to mention this for like the 12,700th time, 24-7 we are being bombarded with information that helps indoctrinate people to a world system that is against God. You are getting that. No culture in the history of the world has experienced what our culture is experiencing. And just pray for the young people because they have been raised with constant information coming at them. Constant. So there's a caution here. Do not be ingrained in what I call world think. I'm going to mention this several times. World think instead of God think. So there's a caution. Do not be taken captive by world philosophy or world think. World think. Colossians 2.8 says it. See to it that no one takes you captive. No one takes you captive, believer, through hollow and deceptive philosophies that depend on human tradition or the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Satan's hold, folks, is on the mind of unbelievers. They cannot free themselves. They're attracted to the world. What does depraved humanity need? A miracle, a rescue. Who is that rescue? You know the answer. His, an his name is Jesus. So I have a question for you. We need Jesus, but how are the blinders removed? That's a great question. And if you can quickly turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 13 through 18, then you too will know how the blinders are removed. Now the setting is Paul speaking about Moses. Moses has come down from the mountain. He has received the, the law. He has been in the presence of God. The glory of God is being reflected off of Moses he puts a veil over himself so the people cannot see the, the glory diminishing. And then Paul says these words in verse 13. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. That's Eventually, the law will pass away and give, give, give uh, room for grace in the church age. But there, watch this, but transition, veil to cover, transition, but veiled uncovered. But their minds were blinded for until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament, the Tanakh. And actually, he's probably talking about Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, because the veil, watch this, the veil is taken away in Christ. The blinders are taken off in Christ. Let's keep going. But even to this day, when Moses is read to the nation of Israel, remember, they're, they're, they're still a blinded people group. Their hearts are partially blinded, we see in, in Romans chapter 11. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. They cannot understand. Nevertheless, now watch this. Doesn't matter Jew, Gentile, or anybody, but nevertheless... 
when one turns to the Lord. Now, you know what that turning to the Lord is. Repentance. Repentance. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. When is the veil taken away? When someone turns to the Lord. Turns to the Lord. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, folks, there is freedom. There is freedom, liberty. But we all, with unveiled face, we who have believed, face unveiled, are go- something's going to happen to us. We're in the family of God, are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. That transformed is metamorpho. You know the word metamorphosis, changed from the inside out. So, veil removed, born again. Now I'm in a process of being transformed into the likeness of Christ. Changing from the inside out, becoming a new me as I've been born, as I've yielded to the Spirit within me. That's the sanctification process. So, the blinders are removed in Christ. The question is this. Who will really believe this? I can explain all this stuff all I want to somebody. And they just go, no, 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 no. But occasionally the light will go on. Who will believe this? It's hidden from the wise and the prudent. And it's revealed to babes. Interesting statement. That word babes is nepios. A nepios. An infant unable to speak plainly. Most of the world won't believe this message. But those who have become like children, kids simply trust their Abba. They have a trust in their father, their daddy. In Matthew 18, 3, Jesus said these words. I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins, which we know is repent, and become like little children, you'll never get into the kingdom of heaven. Unless you become as little children. And folks, I'm telling you, it's all about that aha moment in your life. That moment when all of a sudden it hits you like a ton of bricks and you go, this is real. This is real. I mean, Jesus really existed. Jesus really died and was buried in a tomb. Jesus really did rise again from the dead. Jesus really is coming back. There really is a heaven that I can go to or a hell that I'll end up in if I don't believe and receive the gift of salvation. It really is that simple, that aha moment. Folks, salvation is a miracle of God orchestrated by the great conductor, God. You didn't do it on your own. The conductor did his conducting and brought various life circumstances before before you, and you finally said, I believe. And usually that belief comes with some sort of pain. I don't know how you came, but it was pain that brought me pain. Verse 27, controversial verse here, get ready. Who comes? Those whom the Son wills to reveal to the Father. What does this mean? 27, all things have been delivered to me. Jesus, by my Father. Now, Jesus, make no, there's no equivocation here. Jesus is speaking, He is God. He's equal with the Father. He's putting Himself on the same plane. 
by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. They have this complex unity. And the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Who are the one that the Son wills to reveal? We'll develop that as we go. So again, this speaks of the eternality of Jesus. Remember, Jesus has all the authority of Father. He is part of the triune Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus is God, eternally God, co-equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Now, this has always caused problems. And it even caused problems within the disciples group when Philip, in John chapter 14, asked this question. Who are you, Jesus? Just show us the Father. So that verse is going to come up here. John 14, verses 8 through 9. Philip, very innocently, comes up to Jesus. Now, again, the setting here is literally hours before the cross. This is three and one half years Jesus has been with these guys. He's told them multiple, multiple, multiple times who he is, and they just don't get it. We learn hard. Philip said to him, to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father that it is sufficient, that I'll understand for, for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, Philip, three and one half years, and yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Jesus says very, very plainly, he is God. And that causes a problem all over the world because Jesus being God and Jesus saying he's the only way causes much consternation and much hatred towards true Christians. Now, compromised Christians, progressive Christians, compromise that message. But true Christians don't. Now, again, all world religions and all cults deny that Jesus is God. And by the way, America has gone in that direction. As America has booted the true God out of the culture and made room for all the false gods to come in. Yet God will have a people for himself. Now, the question for you is this. Who are those in which the Son wills to reveal to the Father? Is it just a select group? God, first of all, God must reveal himself to a first person by the Son's choice for a person to believe. That's a fact. And again, God is always initiator. Who will not see? Those who are wise and clever in their own minds, blinded by the God of this age. The question is this. Who are those whom the Son wills to reveal? The following verses will help us. Verse 28 through 30. Let's see what this says. Now again, the nation has rejected Jesus. And now Jesus, because he desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, is now going to give an individual invitation to each person. Watch what he says. Come, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know any human that is not labor and are heavy laden with the, with the trials and tribulations of this world. This looks like a universal plea for humans to come. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. Now, again, the kingdom has been offered. This is an individual offering here to come. So, who are those who labor and are heavy laden? Now, we have to be in context. In context, it's the nation under the heavy burden of Pharisaical law. That's who the context is. And the word labor is the labor to the point of exhausting or collapsing. It actually is described as a freighter, a giant boat, loaded down with so much stuff that it sinks. Or an animal burdened with all kinds of packs until their legs collapse, heavy laden. The promise, I believe, extends to us today, extends to you. Those who are worn out by life, overloaded by life, crushed by life circumstances. Folks, that includes all of us. If you haven't been crushed by life circumstances, just hold on. That is coming to your house. It comes to every human being, excluding none. Jesus promised to the overloaded is this, I will give you rest. Now you have something to, you have to decide about it. It's your choice. It's your choice. Jesus rest or the world's insanity. Now if you place that before somebody, they'll say, well, I'll take Jesus rest. Why don't they? They're blinded. They're not believing what we have to say. The world's insanity, remember, is 24-7 bombardment of world think. World think. Over and over. Constant negative world think. Soul-crushing information. World think. So, how do, wor- how, how do world insanity people attempt to find rest from all of the world think? See, you're a Christian. You turn to Christ. You turn to God, you read his word, you pray, you gather together and get encouragement from one another. Those in the world don't have that. So what do they do? Well, they get into positive thinking. I'm not here. It's okay. You know, we got the three monkeys. I see no, hear no, speak no evil. That whole thing. Eastern meditation, that's become popular. Wishing and hoping. Wishing and hoping. A lot of people do that. Wishing and hoping and singing. Yeah, that's it. You got it, Bill. And then, of course, there's drugs, alcohol, food, sex, anything that you want to turn to to assuage your, your disturbings. And what, is, what are people doing? Hoping things will change. Hoping things will get back to normal, normal, folks. It is never normal. There's no normal. It's always imploding, always getting worse. No normal. No normal. So, I want you to think about when you, when you do something over and over, the world does these things over and over with drugs, alcohol, positive thinking, Eastern mysticism, mysticism that sort of thing. The, de- that, the definition of insanity, this has been, dis- been ascribed to Albert Einstein, which it's hard to get proof that he really wrote this, but he gets the credit. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. Folks, it's easy to get into an insane cycle. Expecting different results, doing the same things over and over. People get trapped in world think. And make no mistake, this world, the next picture, this world, this world system that we're in, this world wants you. 
world think wants you. It wants you to think just like the world. And remember, when you think different than the world, what does the world want to do to you? Censor you. Shut down your voice. Not allow your voice to be into the public domain. That is what people that are fearful do. See, the, the truth, the lie is always afraid of the truth. So they want to shut you down. Shut you up. This happens at universities all the time if they get someone in with a contrary worldview. That wasn't the way it always was. And I was glad to see that there are some universities that are actually pushing back against this and saying, no, these are places where we discuss openly controversial subjects and give both sides equal opportunity to express themselves. I'm glad to see that that is slowly changing. So, Jesus' invitation to those trapped in the insanity cycle. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, what is the yoke? Doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? Take the yoke upon me. When I think Jesus is saying, take off, throw off the yoke of this world, the insanity of this world, and come and join me. Pull in the same direction as Jesus. Get yoked to him. Get saved and then start pulling in the same direction. Now, I have a picture of two animals here. One's a donkey and one's, a, one's an ox. These guys are never going to pull in the same direction. In other words, you cannot pretend you're yoked to Jesus. You cannot pretend. You will never be yoked to Jesus unless you are one like him, born again, that you are like Jesus. Remember, when you die, you're going to get a body that's going to be like him. You're going to get a mind that is like him. You're in a process of change to be like him. That is what we want to do, pull in the right direction. Also, that being yoked means this. I'm learning from Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I'm volitionally pouring myself, laying myself at his feet and saying, I follow your teachings, Jesus. Learning. For those who escape world think insanity and are yoked to Jesus, Jesus promises them something that the world can never have. I will give you rest. That's what he promises you. This verse also tells us about the nature of Jesus. Watch the nature of Jesus. I am gentle and lowly in heart. What does that mean to you? This is what it means to me. Jesus is relatable. Jesus isn't so high and lifted up that I can't relate to him. No, he became just like one of us. Just like one of us. He's relatable. He knows what it's like to be here. He's gentle, meek, considerate, humble. I love that picture. But Jesus also knows what we are like. Remember, he's God. He's God. Psalm 103.14 says this, For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust, frail, fallible, the human condition. So what does Jesus do for those yoked to him? He will carry the load. You have a responsibility to do your pull. But who do you think is really pulling the most? I would say Jesus is pulling the most. So be yoked with Jesus. Partner with Jesus. He carries the load. The truth is this. Truth from Jesus' mouth to our ears. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's going to be a lot better 
than being yoked to this world system, yoked to world think. Jesus' invitation is simple. Come, come, every human come, you'll be glad that you did. Now, some closing thoughts. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. This has nothing to do with religion. Remember, all world religions are working to ingratiate themselves to whoever their God is. Christianity, God has done all the work through his son. Jesus paid the price, done all the work for our salvation. Jesus is inviting us into a relationship, not a religion. He's inviting me into a relationship to be yoked with him. Now, if you're yoked with Jesus, just this is just a sidelight. Be very careful if you try to take Jesus where you shouldn't take Jesus. Okay? If you're yoked to him, if the Spirit of God is dwelling in you, be mindful of where you're going with the Spirit of God, where you're going with Jesus, yoked to him. The yoke is designed for the lead ox. Listen to this. I love this statement. To carry the load. The assistant ox just goes with the flow. I like that. Jesus is saying, yoke with me. Let me be the lead ox. Go with my flow, not your flow. Don't try to change course. Follow me. Let me lead. And if you do that, he says, I will give you rest. When you come into the family of God, there's some amazing things that get answered for you that you heretofore may have struggled with. Those yoked to Jesus will discover some amazing things. Listen to this. Why am I here? Why do I even exist? Why am I here? The meaning of life. You are here to come to know the true God. Paul put it this way in Philippians 3.10. He says it so eloquently. I want to know Christ. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. I want to know Christ. That's the reason everybody has life and breath and all things, to come to know the master. Number two, where did all this come from? Where did all of this creation come from? Now, of course, the world's going to tell you it evolved over, well, it was millions of years, now it's billions of years. And, and I always ask the question, can something come from nothing? And that something that comes from nothing can have morals? Does that just pop into existence? Hmm. The origin of life. The Bible simply says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What happens after I die? That's a question for every human being. More and more people are just believing, well, I just go back to the dirt. I'm just like a dog or a cat or a rat or anything else. I just deteriorate into the earth. The question of eternity, the question of eternal life. You know what Jesus said? He's going, to, he's going to raise from the dead. He says, because I live, I'm going to be killed. They're going to kill me on the cross. But because I live, you may live also. That's a promise. That's a promise. What happens after I die? Hmm. And what is real and what is true? How to live in an insane world? Folks, we want to have a godly worldview not a world's worldview. Now, since God is so big and I am so small, we have to admit this, whoever created this is way bigger than us. 
We're just little pipsqueaks down here, nothing. My advice is to follow his lead. Now, I'm going to give you a picture here of this aircraft carrier in this lighthouse. There's so many people that want to drive the ship. I'm in charge of my life. I'm the captain of my soul. I'm the master of my fate. I will decide my future, not God. How foolish. How foolish. They want to lead. The aircraft carrier in the lighthouse. Just keep this picture up here. Most of you have heard this before because I've shared it when we were across the street. But you probably remember it. It's a familiar story about a lighthouse and a ship. Some people believe this is an actual transcript. The way that it's written would lead you to believe that. Some people say it is, is fabricated. But it, it's a good illustration. For the story, an actual transcript of a U.S. naval ship with Canadian authorities off the coast of Newfoundland in October 1995. Sounds pretty official to me. This radio conversation was released by the Chief of Naval Operations 101095. Goes this way. Americans are, are talking. Please divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. The Canadians respond. Recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The Americans respond this way. This is the captain of a U.S. ship. I say again, divert your course. The Canadian says, no. I say again, you divert your course. The American then responds, watch this hubris. This is the aircraft carrier, the USS Abraham Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels, I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees, in case you didn't get it, one five degrees north, or countermeasures will be taken to ensure the safety of this ship. The Canadian response is this. This is a lighthouse. Your call. <laughs> that, that was cute, wasn't it? Yeah. Jesus is saying loud and clear. John Corson, in his commentary, has the following. I am the lighthouse, and may I add your call. I am the light of the world. I am the rock of your salvation. I am the creator and sustainer of your soul. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the beginning from the end. The one who knows the beginning, one who knows everything, trust me. Your call. Jesus cried to all people has come, trust me. The last invitation in the Bible is Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The bride, the spirit, and the bride say, "Come, come. Let him who hears hears with the intent to do come. Let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, this is wide open, isn't it? This is an invitation, to everybody. Whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Jesus says, "Come to me. Yoke with me. Do life with me." Learn from me. This is an invitation. Come, you will find rest for your souls. And might I add, come and believe and receive the gift of life. Might I add, come and serve the king. It's a privilege. It's an honor to serve our God. It isn't some arduous task. Oh, no, I got to preach again. Oh, no, it's Sunday school teaching. Oh, no. no, it's an honor to be able to serve God. Come. Come, and remember this, 
Remember who you are serving. He is the king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. And I want you to hear this loud and clear. No one is safe unless they are yoked to him. C.S. Lewis and his Chronicles of Narnia have a picture of Aslan, the king. And I want you to remember, it is not safe not being yoked to Jesus. Jesus is gentle and humble in heart, but those who reject him will experience his wrath. We see the whole chapter 16 through 19 of the tribulation, wrath. We see Revelation 21, the wrath in the, in the lake of fire and the great right throne judgment. Please take Jesus now while you can. That is the message. But I have a picture here. C.S. Lewis. Safe? You're only safe if you're yoked, people. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He's the king, I tell you. I'm telling you, he is the king. He is worth serving. You are safe with him. That's the only place that you're safe. Come and serve the king. He is the king, I tell you. He is the king, I tell you. Come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Open our spiritual eyes and ears to the truth. If somebody here does not know you as their Savior, Father, I pray that your spirit will convince them that you are the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, that you have prepared a way, that you came and died for the sins of this world. You died for each one of us. And if we simply believe and say, yes, Jesus, I believe you. I trust you. They too can be saved. Lord, I pray that happens now to somebody who is listening to this talk. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.